interested in studying the Bible or theology and trying to figure out how does this apply to my life? Or if you're wanting to enter into ministry or chaplaincy in some form or another, I'd love to have a conversation with you, especially we have a semester coming up in a month's time. Uh, the second thing you might have noticed is I do have an accent. Uh, although I've been in uh, Perth for about two years now, I'm originally from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So that's kind of on the west side of the country. And I actually recently had the opportunity to visit Edmonton over the Christmas holidays. And we actually called it a mild winter at the time. It didn't reach down to the minus 20s, uh, which is great for us. It's still very cold and lots of snow. But it was one of those weather when you can actually drive and park outside and leave your car out for extended time and your battery won't freeze if you leave it unplugged. So that's always nice when that happens. Uh, but I guess recently they just had one of the coldest days on record, so weather goes up and down there. So it's nice to be back. But one nice thing about visiting Canada is all my family is there. So my parents are there. I have an older brother and sister-in-law there. And I have a couple nieces there. So they're age seven and four. So last time I chatted with them was two years ago. So it's interesting to see the kind of personalities that are developing and to learn some of their interests. So last time I left, I remember one of their shows, our favorite shows was Paw Patrol. So I guess that's crime-solving dogs in this show. Now it's become a show called uh, The Descendants. So in this show, supposedly all the Disney supervillains have children, and then we follow them as teenagers. So I don't know if anyone has kids here, but perhaps you've been watching these shows. They're also singing a lot of the Frozen 2 songs as well. Um, so, you know, it's great to visit with them. And I do remember my oldest niece, she used to say one of her favorite places was called the Big T. And you say, what, what does she mean by the Big T? And I guess what she meant was a church because there's the T-shaped object on the top of it. And I, I do know, like, when I was visiting and seeing the church that they had over Christmas, they had a whole Christmas pageant with live animals. So I could see why she really liked going to the church as a kid. But always great to hear that a family member loves going to the church. And it got me thinking, what is this thing we call church? Maybe we can have a think more about that this, this evening, actually. Um, and we know how people in popular culture define the church. It is that building with the cross-shaped object on top that people who are religious go for various religious reasons, though actually in the West, people going less and less, except for the major holidays of Christmas and Easter. So that's a typical understanding of church, but it might not be what the New Testament means by the church. And I thought it was a good time to take some stock and reflect about what it means to be the church because we've had some major holidays recently. Um, we're, New Year's just happened, and I guess Chinese New Year's today, uh, and also Australia Day next weekend. So we're celebrating these milestones. So I know Australia Day, a time of celebration for some and a time of mourning for others. But we're celebrating these milestones of we're entering into a new decade. We're thinking about this country. And so it's a good time to reflect, how's the church fared in Australia and around the world over this last decade? And what might the church be in the upcoming decade? Both this local church here, the wider church in Australia, and the church around the world. What 
might be the, what might the future hold for the church. So let's take a closer look at how the New Testament describes the church. The first thing I should say is in the New Testament, there's no such thing as church buildings. So that's kind of a modern thing. And I definitely wouldn't trash going to a church building. A building's very important. It facilitates meeting together and running programs and parking and all these things that is valuable for having a church building. But there was no church buildings in the first century. The term that we translate church, it comes from this Greek word that means ekklesia, or the words ekklesia. Maybe you've heard of an ecclesiastical position or something along those lines. That's where we get that word. And this word didn't mean anything special, or it wasn't a sacred or holy term in the first century. The term basically could be translated as an assembly, or a congregation, or any kind of gathering of people. So if you go back to ancient Greece and Athens, the term was used for a citizen's assembly when they got together to vote on important matters in the city. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, that term was sometimes used for the nation of Israel, like the assembly of Israel that gathered in the wilderness. The term could just mean any kind of social gathering in the Roman world. You wanted to have a club or a workers' guild or go to a school, you, use, you could use that term, a gathering, an assembly of people. Jewish synagogues could be called by that term. So what what is a Jewish synagogue? Well, it's basically a meeting place in Israel or all around in the other nations, and especially mattered in other nations, because Jews were an ethnic minority in larger cultures that didn't recognize their God and didn't recognize Jewish beliefs and practices and customs. So synagogues were a great place where the Jews could meet together and also interested non-Jews, and they, they could hear their scriptures being read. Or they could worship together and pray together. Or they could practice their customs with like-minded people. So this is kind of the range of ways this term was used. And then we have the Christian churches in the New Testament. And these probably met in houses. And they were probably pretty small. So imagine 10 to 20 people in a church. I guess it depends how many could fit into your average house in the ancient world. And then you'd have these networks of house churches in a city. So, I guess the first point I'd want to make about what is the church, the church is the people. So, the idea Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So, Jesus is present when we come together as the church body, um, present among us while we worship and pray. Um, The church is important because the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We need the Christian community. Why? Because sometimes, obviously, to worship together, but to comfort each other, to maybe encourage each other, to exhort each other, sometimes to challenge each other and tell each other to shape up. But we need the church community. Um, We need to walk this Christian walk together and to live this Christian life in a community. And it's interesting to think, what all the things we can do as a people when we pool together our time, our treasures, and our talents that would be featured in this room. So I'll give an example from Paul's life. When Paul first became a Christian, 
a lot of his fellow Jewish Christians were very skeptical of him. So this Paul guy, if you don't know his story, originally started out by hating the churches. You know, he tried to destroy them and drive them underground and throw Christians into prison. And then he had his vision where he encountered Christ on the road, and Christ said, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus turned him into one of the great missionaries of the Christian faith. But at first, people were a bit distrustful. Isn't this the person, wasn't this our enemy? Isn't this the person that tried to destroy us? And now he claims he had a vision, and that makes him equal to the other disciples of Jesus who spent three years in Jesus' life and ministry walking around with them. And then some Jewish Christians didn't like everything Paul had to say about the law of Moses, and so Paul got a pretty bad reputation among a lot of his fellow Jews. But the original disciples of Jesus, they said, we're going to extend fellowship to you, Paul. You know, forgive the transgressions you've done against us, the way you've hurt us, welcome you into fellowship. But we just ask you, remember the poor. So that you see this account in Galatians. And so Paul takes this command very seriously. They're probably saying, remember your poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so when we look at Paul's letters to Galatia and to Corinth and to Rome, we see Paul is raising this collection of money. Has, have you seen that before, reading some of those letters? So he goes place to place. Everywhere he travels, in Turkey, in Greece, in Rome, he asks them, you know, pool together some money. And when I go visit your churches, I'm going to take the collection from you, kind of like what we did collecting money here today. And that collection is going to go back to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to support them in, you know, many of them were poor, many of them were hungry, there have been famines in the region. We're going to raise this collection to support them. And yes, this collection cared for their physical needs, but it also symbolized the church is a worldwide family, that we're all brothers and sisters, that whether we're in Turkey or Greece or Rome, we can care for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. We're all united in Christ. So again, think of what we can do as a great people, the people of God, when we pool together our time, our treasures, and our talents. We know many people have been devastated by the fires in the country. And how can the church step up and care for people who have been devastated or impacted by the physical or materially or emotionally or spiritually, the losses they've suffered in these fires. And how can we come together? How can the church sort of leave its mark on Australian society and, you know, just give a very good reputation for the church and make, draw people to Christ by how we respond to these circumstances. And there's lots of different circumstances in the world and, whether you see yourself going out in different countries and being a missionary or caring for the poor and needy right here in Perth or whatever you see yourself doing. Think of what we can do as the people of God together. The other thing Paul likes to call the church when he writes his letters is he likes to refer to them as saints or as holy ones. We often think, you know, when you think of saints and sainthood, you think of those select few people. So if I'm not a monk or I'm not someone like Mother Teresa, I probably shouldn't apply to be a saint. But that's not Paul's understanding of being a saint or a holy one. For him, every single one of us is a saint or a holy one. Every believer in Christ has been made holy. We have to think of this term holy as being perfect. You know, like when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And it 
It includes those things. But the, at, the basic meaning is being set apart. So you think of some of those prophets when they encountered God and they just said, holy, holy, holy. The idea that, God, you're so far beyond my experience and my ability to grasp you and comprehend you. You're so other to everything I know. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, you're set apart. And you are also calling your people to be set apart, which doesn't mean kind of coming around and saying we're better than other people or adopting that holier-than-thou attitude, but it does mean looking different, where people say, what is it that the church has, or this gathering of people, what makes them different? Why are they so compassionate or caring towards one another or, or moral people? What do they have that I might want? And that's kind of the role that the church has been called to. So the church is a people. The second thing I want to look at is the church is a temple. So maybe you've heard this verse before in 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So this is probably one of the more misinterpreted passages in the New Testament. Um, basically, the way a lot of people have heard this is they talk about me as an individual. I am the temple, right? And my body's a temple, so I better not do bad, not eat too much junk food. Maybe I shouldn't get tattoos because the body's a temple, right? And that's probably good advice because I remember years ago when my brother was getting married, he had a bachelor party and I was in the groom's party. So I went along. It was actually a weekend getaway. And one of the plans was to get tattoos. So I thought, oh, I'll get, you know, I was a believer and I, oh, I'll get Greek word from the New Testament tattoo. But I realized I have this phobia of needles. <laughs> so I don't know in practice how that would have worked out. But I'm glad we didn't end up doing that. And I'm thankful. I wouldn't want, you know, 10 years later, be looking at this tattoo and saying, why did I do that? So often we take that verse that way. But the verse isn't quite saying that. So let me share a few things of verse. The verse is actually directing to the whole church, not just to the individual. And here's how we know that. First, when that verse, what's the context there? So Paul's writing to these churches in Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. And these churches are fighting. Some of them are even suing each other. So it isn't going very well for the churches in Corinth. And they're following different leaders. So don't we know this experience? I really like this speaker. I like this band. I like this group. So some says, oh, I really like Peter. He's, Peter's my guy. And then some like Paul and some like this other leader named Apollos. They're forming little factions. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This shouldn't be what the church looks like. The church should be this united family. And he, they, in this context says, you are the temple of the spirit. The second reason we know is the you, and it's difficult to see this in English, but the you is actually a plural you. So what do I mean by that? Like in English, sometimes I can say, if I'm talking to Dexter, I can say, you, do you have advice? Something like, I could ask him something. I'm talking to Dexter. Well, if I'm talking to everyone here, I can say, you know, you go and be the church. And you just know from context, okay, he's talking to all of us. Greek has a very, it shows when it wants the you being just to one person and when it wants the you to be 
multiple people. And here it's multiple people. You all are the church. Sometimes, if I was from the American South, if you translate it as y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you'd get the sense of what Paul is saying here. Um, that you is a tricky thing. Sometimes we often misread some Bible passages because we take it immediately for the individual and not for the people of God. I think one of the famous examples I've given before uh, in the Old Testament where we mistake this is a famous verse in Jeremiah. Maybe you've heard it where people say, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Have you heard that verse used before? And a lot of times people take that verse and it's like, yes, God wants to prosper me materially. Like he wants me to be wealthy or famous or have a good long life. That's God's will for me. And you know what? It might be, might not be, but maybe that's what God has in store. But it's not what the verse is saying, because again, the you is plural. So you, God knows the plans he has for you, the people of God, which in this case was the people of Judah. And the second reason is because this, in the context, it's their darkest hour. So what happens in this verse in Jeremiah is Judah had just been conquered by another nation called Babylon, which is in modern day Iraq. And Babylon came in, conquered them, burned down their temple, and dragged some of the leading citizens into exile. So the most well-to-do people in Judah, they could no longer live in their land. You go live in another country in Babylon where you're treated as second-class citizens. So it's their darkest hour. It's their most devastating moment. And in that context, Jeremiah says, God says, I know the plans I have for you. You know, I'm going to bring you out of this. I have a future in store for you. So I only bring up this example is just to be careful how you read, you know, look at the verse in context. See if you can, if you don't have the language, see if you can look at the verse in different translations and try to get a sense of what it is saying. So back to our verse in Corinthians. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is a temple? A temple is not quite the same thing as a Jewish synagogue. So there's lots of Jewish synagogues all over the world in the New Testament times. And it's not quite like our church buildings, where you could go to every street corner and find a church building. Instead, if you read the Old Testament, there's only supposed to be one temple, So King Solomon builds this temple in Jerusalem, and he says, one temple for one God, for one people of God. And the Old Testament's very clear about this. It forbids, don't build other religious centers or shrines or sanctuaries, which the Israelites often do. They fail this, uh, and this is what gets them in trouble so often, because they build these other shrines, and then they start worshiping other gods and goddesses and turn their back on the one true God, right? So... There's one temple. And why, why is it so important to have this one temple? Well, in one sense, the Israelites understood the temple as God's house. That God was enthroned in the inner sanctuary. And on the one hand, they recognize this isn't completely literal. So when King Solomon builds the temple, he says, I'm dreaming if I think this building can contain the God of heaven and earth. Right? So God doesn't need us to build a house for him. But what the temple represented was that God dwells among his people, that God is present among the people of God. So what is Paul doing when he says that the church, the body of believers, you are the temple? He's saying you are now the place where God is present and where God dwells. 
Um, so when we gather again, the Holy Spirit should be very present among us in our worship and our prayer, and not just in the service, but when we go out to be the church, outside the service. Now, this doesn't mean that the ch- um, this doesn't mean that there are no implications for individuals. So the next time Paul uses this idea of the church as a temple, it's found in 1 Corinthians 6.19. So let me read that. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Now, again, it might surprise you, but it's still plural language. You, the body of you is the church body. And sometimes Paul uses this language, doesn't he? Maybe you've heard of the church is the body of Christ. So if you have heard that metaphor, what that means is we know a body has many parts, right? There's eyes, there's ears, there's nose, there's hands, but no parts greater than the other parts. They're all different, but they all contribute to the flourishing of the body, right? They're all equal. And we, if the eye wanted to be ear, we wouldn't have the senses that the eyes bring, right? So Paul's saying the church is this body that's made up of diverse people. We might be ethnically diverse or racially diverse. We might be culturally diverse, different social and economic, uh, men and women from all kinds of backgrounds. We're all diverse and we have different gifts and talents, things the Spirit has given us, leadership qualities, different ways we volunteer and serve. But when we come together, we're united and we all contribute to the flourishing of the church body. So Paul's again saying the body, the body of Christ is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But individuals have also been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit to guide us and to shape us and to transform us. And in the context of this verse, Paul is also discussing individuals because certain individuals were leading very immoral lives. And what that did is it brought shame to the body of Christ. You know, we all know this too, where people say, I'm not going to participate in the church because churches are hypocrite, places of hypocrites, right? They're full of hypocrites. Why would I want to go there? And on the one hand, that should be true. Because if the church is like a hospital for sick people, that we all fall short in many different ways. We all need grace every day, right? For ways we sin against God or hurt each other or wrong ourselves. But um, on the other hand, we have to remember that we are ambassadors of Christ, that sometimes we don't just make mistakes for us alone, but we represent Christ whom we serve in the church. And so people sometimes judge the church by how they see us. So these are some points I want to make about the church being the people that we're called to live together. The church is the temple that God has set apart and made holy. We're all called a priesthood of all believers. Um, And the church is the place where the spirit dwells. So the church, we need to be the church. That you might be the only Christ anyone ever sees. That we are Christ's hands and feet working in the world. We are showing the world what it looks like for a community, for the living God to be present among our community and to transform our nations. There is no plan B. That God's plan for redeeming society is the church. So let's go out and not just be the church in service, but let's be the church in the world. So let me close in prayer, and then I'll invite the band to come forward and uh, complete the song. So Father God, thank you for this time in the service of refreshment, to hear your word, to worship you. 
to allow you to transform us. But let's not just be the church in the service, but let's be the church in the world. Let's be that light, uh, lamp on a desk, that light on a hill. Um, let's go out and transform the world and show the world what it looks like to be Christ-like. So I thank you for this time and this fellowship. And I pray that you bless us together in Jesus' name. Amen.